April 2017. Over the past decade, I have had the pleasure of supporting individuals with varying unique abilities in their search for independence through employment. Each of these individuals has possessed excitement, desire, and a remarkable set of skills, and none more so than individuals with Down syndrome. Like our guests, I'm Sarah. I'm Jared. Prior to beginning my career, I had very little exposure to individuals with Down syndrome, or the exposure I did have was so very misguided. However, as I learned early on in my career, and as I have gotten to see firsthand watching the subject of our podcast grow up, life is so much sweeter with her around. According to the CDC, each year about 6,000 babies are born in the United States with Down syndrome, which equates to roughly about one in every 700 babies. One of the things I was truly fascinated by was hearing the story of Jared and Sarah as they were receiving the news, the news that Mila would be born, different, and the way in which they were approached by medical professionals with options. Uh, so we were pregnant uh, with our fourth child, and Sarah was really excited to know to find out the gender of you know of our child which it was interesting because you know you're 34 so in the medical world they consider that advanced maternal age so every you know couple weeks we had to go to this doctor and he was a really nice guy he was pretty cool and so he offered up you know a way that they'll do a screening uh, for the tests early and of course you know we could find out the gender yeah the wife was very excited about doing that and and it was uh you know she went to the the doctor to go do it without me well at about 11 weeks and then they called me two weeks later and said it didn't work um so i had to come back and do it again so i did it again um then they i kept calling like for a week and a half they didn't call back and then when they finally called back they said sorry um the lady i'd never spoken to before said um sorry I have bad news. And I thought she was calling to tell me that it didn't work again. So I said, oh, dang, I have to come back. And she said, no, it worked. Um, there's just a 91% chance a baby will have trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome. And kind of everything went black at that point. So um, the next thing she said was, um, you know, it was negative for everything else. And she said, what do you think you want to do? She said, do you think you want to keep the baby? Or get an abortion. She said, the good news is in Iowa, you have until 22 weeks, six days to get an abortion. And she said, what do you think you're going to do? And I said, I can't even process the first half of this conversation. All I this can't. conversation was over the phone. And I was at work. So I was like, I, I've i been married for 13 years. We have three other kids. Like, I felt the baby move. Like, I, I can't make that kind of decision right now. Like, I, I don't even know what to say. So she hung up the phone. And then she called me back right away and asked if she wanted me to call Jared and tell him and I was like no like I don't want you to tell him anything like the way you told me was horrible like how am I supposed to tell my husband that I messed up this baby is what I thought um and so I had to I worked over the phone as a nurse so I had to call my boss and I don't even think she understood what I said but she let me go home because I couldn't get it together um and so I went home and kind of just sat in the driveway and cried because I didn't know how to tell anybody and so 
I called my dad first and my dad was like so supportive and he was like he was crying because I was crying but he said I'm not crying because I'm upset I'm crying because you're upset he's like this this is gonna be fine he's like I know plenty of people with Down syndrome and they're fine they have happy lives and their families love them and like you guys are gonna be great and I talked to my brother who said well you're gonna get an abortion right like you wouldn't be that selfish to bring a child like that into the world And so that was kind of what I was left with before I told Jared. And when I told Jared, he was like, perfect. You know, he said, um, okay. And I'm like, oh my God, you don't even know what it is. And he's like, I do know what it is. And I was like, well, how are you not upset? And he's like, because it's our baby and we're going to love our baby and give our baby whatever it needs. Like, it's fine. And I was like, you're just not coming to terms with it. Like, you're going to end up dealing with it later, and you need to deal with it now. And, like, it was this kind of this back and forth where I tried to get him to talk to me about it. And he was like, it's fine. It's fine. One of the conversations I remember is he was at work, and I called him to talk to him about, we need to write a pros and cons list. And he was like, I'm not doing that. And I was like, well, we need to think about what if the baby has everything wrong with it and has to go in the NICU, and I can't work, and what are we going to do with the kids? And he said... I got to get these potatoes in the oven. I'm like, no one cares about your potatoes. So that was the last time I tried to talk to him about it. But I mean, he was perfect about it from day one. So if I didn't have that, I don't know where we would have been. What I wanted to explore further with Jared was the feelings around fatherhood, both toward his new child and toward the family unit as a whole. Well, I mean, you never know what will happen. And just because... You know, once you get to kid number four, it it's the motions, you know. Yay, we're excited, you know, all of this stuff. But uh, that day when she called, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, just the way I was brought up or if I don't have, like, complete, utter focus in what I'm doing, it's difficult for me to do anything well. So when she initially called, you know, I was making chicken piccata and it was just the wrong day to... For me, to, like I had to slice all this chicken, pound all this chicken. There was no mallet. So I'm using a, the back end of a very small pan to pound out this chicken. So she's telling me all this on the phone. And I'm still smashing chicken because I had to get lunch. Uh, I had to get dinner uh, working because I, I was cooking for three houses at the time. And so as she's telling me everything, I'm listening. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's our child. It's, it, it doesn't, like for me, it doesn't matter. You know, whether it's, um, you know, you know, she would have been perfect. It would have been okay. Like, you know, it's no big deal to me because at the end of the day, you know, I've always heard, you know, people say, oh, you know, you can abort, you can do these things. But for me, that's just never been acceptable for me. And it's, and it has nothing like, I know for some people it's like a religious thing, but for me, it's, if I'm going to be man enough to bring, you know, a child into the world, I'm going to take care of it no matter how it comes out she was really upset and I heard it in a voice and it was difficult because I knew I couldn't give her anything at the moment because it was at the sweet spot of the day where if I was to call my boss and say hey I need someone to cook my dinner it would have derailed you know like five other people's dinner and then literally I was knee deep in it and you know and my wife you know she you know, you, when you have a spouse, you've been married for a while, they know the buttons to push. And so she's literally pushing all those buttons, trying to get a reaction. And I'm like, no, A, I'm not going to do this over the phone in that moment. And then B, like it was 
from that moment, even to this day, it's not a big deal to me because Mila is who she is and it's beautiful. So, you know, it's, it's never been a challenge to me. The only challenge is, is, you know, the promise I made her at birth, which I could probably tell you about that later. You know, my family is sometimes naive in a good way because, you know, they were just ignorant to, first off, there's not very many uh, special needs people in my family. So it's something that we haven't had to encounter, you know, a lot. But then number two, there's, shucks, I can't even tell you there's any doctors in the family, you know, there's a couple of nurses. Mainly my family makeup is a bunch of blue collar workers, you know, always work for the city, like really work hard for for their living. So they know, but they don't know. So when I called my mom, you know, she was like, okay, sweetie, is everything all right? And, you know, and I can hear it in her voice. She was really careful not to be judgmental in, in that moment, which I really appreciate it for because you say the wrong words, you know, it can leave, you know, a pretty bad scar. And um, at the time, my dad and I was talking pretty regularly. So when we talked about it, you know, he was just like, okay, Bo, you, you know, same as the rest of the kids. I was like, yeah, exactly. So like for my family, it was never a big deal. Part of it out of ignorance, but then the other part of it, you know, even though I know families, you know, can be kind of difficult at times. The one thing I can tell my family is they're not very judgmental. They may be a lot of other things, but judgmental, you know, especially when it comes to me, like my mom, my sister, like it's always been a lot of love and support, no matter what I've done. Throughout, there continue to be common misconceptions and stigmas around those with Down syndrome. Many of these misconceptions came during the days of sheltered environments, embarrassment, parental blame, and societal condemnation of and for individuals with Down syndrome. And I was curious if that had been the understanding of the individuals. And Sarah had this to share regarding her experience prior to learning of Mila. I went back to working in the NICU at Tampa General, and the only babies we saw with Down syndrome were the ones that were very sick, like they had super bad heart conditions and that's all I could think. That's all I knew of babies with Down syndrome. And then I had this like grown man from my hometown who had Down syndrome and we were all terrified of him. So in my head, I was having a grown man with Down syndrome who was riding this bike around town and would squeeze your hand right off your arm if you let him shake your hand. So that's like the only view that I had of it at all. I grew up in a town um, close to a town called Princeton and they have a place called Gateway, which is like an assisted living facility for people with special needs. And my grandma always told us, stay away from them, don't talk to them, just keep your distance. So, I mean, I was always just afraid of them because some people weren't allowed to talk to them, so. And your town was really small. Very small. So. Very judgmental and very low income, so. um, The mindset, I mean, just think about the mindset, you, whatever's the majority way of thought, everyone's going to have it. I mean, if you're different, you stand out. Yeah. And people don't really like to interact with you, so. Sarah, I'm curious here, because you, you mentioned your medical profession and your medical background. Right. Uh, when you were getting those words from people in your field, what was your initial reaction to that? And did you see any other medical professionals rallying around you? Um, oh, gosh. So really the only person that rallied around us was um, the neonatologist. He was, yeah, he was, I wish good. he would have told me. I wish that I could have come in and he could have told me. Um, Cause he said, so I hear you guys are keeping it. That's awesome. Babies with Down syndrome are amazing. Like 
you guys, she's going to do everything the rest of your kids are going to do and it's going to be great. But there was one doctor in particular, um, every time I saw her, she asked me, are you sure you want to keep it? Um, the last time I remember her doing it, I was 22 weeks and two days and I had an appointment with her and she told me, you have four days left and I need at least 24 hours. She was like, so if you're going to change your mind, you have to give me 24 hours and you'll have to go to Iowa City. She's like, but just let me know. You just call the office and tell them that you want to make the appointment and then we'll do it. So in my head, I thought maybe they know something that I don't like, maybe I'm like blinded by something and you know, they're offering this because this baby's going to be messed up. Like, I mean that, and then the ultrasound people, they were awesome. Cause that was my thing. Like, what if she's ugly? Like the other girls are so pretty and like, what if she's ugly? So as soon as I said that, the one lady who always did the ultrasounds, cause we went every two weeks, she went right into the 4d and like showed me her face. So that was like, the most amazing thing ever I was like oh my god she's so cute like, yeah. so after that it was just really that one doctor and the, I spoke with the genetic counselor after she told me she called me the next day and we just talked about like you know I'm gonna keep the baby and like whatever um and I spoke with her in person and she told me um that she was very happy that I was gonna keep her and that kids with Down syndrome are amazing and they have great lives and you know our family is wonderful Um, And I asked her, why did you offer termination in that first conversation? And she said, well, if I would have told you how amazing it was to have a child with Down syndrome, and then you chose to have an abortion, you would feel like I was judging you. Which, yes, that's true. I just, there has to be a better way, is all I could think. Like, there has to be a better way to do it. Yeah, I feel like most people, they don't, and maybe it's just because it's something I'm learning. Framing what you're saying is huge. You know, especially where, you know, your perspective may be different. For her, she does it every day. But the way she told you was wrong. She should have apologized. The day of birth and then soon after. So, Mm -hmm. Jared, you were mentioning the statement that you wanted to make. And and you're going to hold yourself to it your whole life. What was that? Oh, man, that one's hard. Give me a second. Um, So... We had a C-section and, um, you know, we had a C-section with uh, Amaya. So I remember the feeling of being in the room and seeing her all opened up. So as soon as they pulled the baby out, it's more of a ceremony. You know, you, you clip the umbilical cord because they rush it away, do all their stuff to it. So as soon as they cleaned her up a bit before I cut the umbilical cord, Soon she came out, ah, like she had big voice, you know, big she's lungs. Loud. They said she's the loudest baby we've had in here in months. I said she'll fit right in with her siblings. Yeah, she was loud. The nurse handed her to me, and I'm holding her. And the moment I start talking to her, like you know, she stopped. But I just promised her, like from this day forward, for the rest of your life, I'm always gonna be there for you, and I'm gonna do everything that I can to provide a life that's fitting to give you an advantage. You know, it's it's I mean that. To a level that I don't think, you know, my kids will probably ever really grasp. But, like, I really want to give them opportunities that I never had. And even opportunities that, that I get passed on. I don't want them to have that worry. I want to help them help them give, give them the opportunities. And for her, you know, knowing that she's going to grow up in the world that will judge her before getting to know her in a world that will, you know, not give her the same opportunity as someone else. And some of it's rightfully so because depending on her ability, she may not be able to do everything. But as a father, I just feel like if my life has always been, you know, 
missteps and in not getting the same opportunities how do i levy the playing ground for my kids and now like it's like it's supercharged fuel every day the only thing i can think about is like how can i do something else different and you know provide more and better and even so like even you know i've always worked on myself but it's even you know to the umph degree now just because i know that they're gonna need me when daddy's tagged into the game it's, it's different than mommy like they go to mommy for a lot of nurturing you know things go wrong at school they're like mommy mommy first but i know there's gonna be a time in their life when they're gonna need you know dad to really support and i want to be there for them you know spiritually emotionally you know financially like i want to be able to set my kids up to be able to do great things so that was the, the promise i made to her and i you know i told myself we're not leaving this place until we make good on that promise can you remember the moments uh up to birth sarah and and every, the emotions that were around that I was terrified. My blood pressure was high and I was working full time and doing clinicals full time to finish my master's and Jared was working and we had my aunt staying with us during the week so that I could do yeah. clinicals and work. Um, and my blood pressure had been high for like a month. So I went in that day. It was a Tuesday and Dr. The neonatologist said, um, your blood pressure is still high. And I was like, yeah, I know. He's like, you know how you fix that? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I can't. I can't have a baby today because I have like 12 hours left of clinicals. I have to finish my clinicals or I won't get my master's. So he was like, well, I can let you go until probably Thursday, but there's no way you're going to make it till Monday. So I was like, okay. So the next morning I woke up and I didn't feel very good. So I ate breakfast. I never ate breakfast. So I went in to do the non-stress test. You sit in a recliner and they strap you up and see what the baby does. And of course she wasn't moving she like she ever did and she always failed and they had to give me a soda and I was diabetic and I mean it was just a whole mess of stuff um and the nurse said something she watched, tried to give me a diet soda and I didn't want it and I was like well I'm gonna have the baby soon anyway so you could just give me a regular soda it's fine I'm like I don't feel very good anyway so I don't want to drink the diet soda and her face totally changed and she came back in and she said so you just risked yourself out of seeing the nurse practitioner today I'm like what do you mean She's like, you have to see the doctor because you don't feel good. So you're probably gonna have the baby today. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I call him at work and I was like, I have to have the baby today. But because I ate, we have to wait at least seven hours. So I was like, you don't have to like hurry home, but like we need to get there soon. So he shows up like six and a half hours later. We get to the hospital and they were like, oh, we thought maybe you weren't coming. And I'm like, well, we were just waiting for the star of the show. <laughs> he had to finish cooking. <laughs> Um, so it was just like getting in there, getting the IV and stuff pre-op was just like every other birth. He was sleeping and I was terrified. And I probably announced to every person who came in like, this baby has Down syndrome. I didn't want anybody to be surprised more because I didn't want to see their reactions if they were negative. Yeah. So I wanted everybody to just know what we were going into. And of course everybody knows because they see it. And I think the doctor offered to break my water and see what yeah. happened because he's like, you're having contractions. And I'm like, oh, no way. Like, there's so much about this. Like, I'm already on this path to a C-section. I can't do a U-turn and come back the other way. Like, emotionally, I just can't handle it. So we went in, and then, um, you know, when they pulled her out, she was screaming, which was like, okay, it's good. And when they brought her, they showed me first and then brought her over to the table. The NICU team was in there. And I started crying because I could see. Like, it's it's true now. Like, here it is. Like, you could tell. Um, so he was he started talking to her, and she stopped crying. And one of the nurses was like, oh, she really likes her daddy's voice because she's not crying anymore. And so I'm like, what is he telling her? And I just kept crying and crying because I was like, 
it was just real. So now it was like all of these emotions that I had were like I could finally get rid of them and just love her. Um, and then the one transport nurse from the NICU came over. Um, you know, she has like the hat on and the mask. So all I could see was her eyes. And she's like, your eyes are so pretty. And I didn't hear her. So he repeated it. And I was like, oh, thanks. But I was like, I was sort of annoyed because I don't, I didn't want you to talk to me about that. And she was like, she's beautiful. I don't even need to be here. And I just like lost it. Because that was the only thing I was worried about was like, that was um, the first like impression that the world gave me of her was that she was beautiful so um that was that kind of erased the other things for me um and then I started working in the NICU at Blank and I was in a meeting this lady came in with her baby she was on maternity leave and she sat down and she started talking and I just started crying because it was her and <clears throat> it was like deja vu and I was like oh my god you were in my delivery and she was like, what's your baby's name? And I said, Mila. And she said, she has Down syndrome. And at this point, she's over a year. So how do you remember? Like, how many births did you go to? And she's like, I remember how beautiful she was. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I, like, gave her a card and, like, you know, just kind of told her, like, that's what I needed. That was the only thing I needed in that moment was for someone to say that she was beautiful. It was bizarre to me that that's the one thing that she said was what I needed to hear. So... Now, talking about the just after moments, there's a, there was a campaign in 2018 from the Canadian Down Syndrome Society, and it was Anything But Sorry, mm-hmm. and the, right. uh, that campaign said, sorry can be worse than any swear word, so when a baby is born with Down Syndrome, say congratulations first, yep. and sorry never. Yep. Yeah. When you introduced Mila to those that you, you know and love, and the first ones that were able to see... What were those reactions? Was there any confusion or concern? Or did anyone maybe, was there any statements that you said, gosh, I really wish you wouldn't have said whatever it might be? So we started telling people like right away, like as soon as we found out, neither one of us are good with secrets. So we're kind of an open book to people. And in the beginning, I was very sad about it. So when I would say it, I would present it in a way that really the only thing people could say was, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And when I started coming to terms with it and got to a place where I was okay with it, it continued for a little while, but I would say, like, you don't need to say sorry. Like, we're fine. We're going to be fine. And then when I started changing how I told people, it wasn't like a, this baby has Down syndrome, and then I start crying, and then I pause, and then they feel like they have to fill that void of space with something that makes me feel better. I mean, people stopped saying they were sorry. It was just a part of the conversation. It was just who Mila was, and they were okay with it because I was okay with it. I feel like we talked about this a lot. Like I like to give people a lot of grace because they say what they think you want them to say or they think about how they would feel if it was them and then they say that. And so you have to expect people to say what they would think initially and not what they would say at the place that we were in the journey at that point, like being okay with it. And I wasn't really okay with it until I made 23 weeks. I mean, going back to framing, it's just interesting the way you presented it, it just makes up a lot for other people. I learned a long time ago um, that you don't look for certain things because you'll find it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, being black, you know, there's like for the, the infamous, like you go to the grocery store, you walk past someone and they're clearly on the path going to the store. They see you, they turn around, beep, beep, you know, like, like that's, that happens. So I've had to train myself over the years don't look for it because 
you will find it and all you're doing is make yourself upset and it's the same thing with Mila is um all, like our network of friends like just here in Iowa everyone's been super supportive and super receptive so that's never been an issue like for me it's always like the people you don't know and they see the other three and the moment you look at Mila eyes like you know something's different right and so if you go and look at them and you see that they notice but then they're not afraid you know they're a little afraid to say something so just as the same as I do myself personally I don't go there because this there's no need. I'm just putting myself in the in the bad space. And I remember the the people on my job, um, I have to give them a lot of credit because, you know, us moving here to Iowa, I just so happens to work for a company that they're really family oriented and I've taken my fair share of time off for the sake of the baby and, you know, never once been docked pay, never once been asked you know, anything bad, like the moment I told my boss, I was like, he knew my wife was pregnant. I was like, Hey, this is situation. And they've been, whatever you need, you take care of it for, you know, my end, whether it was friends, whether it's my job, you know, never had any issue. I just had to make sure that me personally, I don't, you know, all of a sudden become super protective and go looking at, you know, correct everyone and their shenanigans, you know, which is, is, I'm glad I didn't, but that, that took a little growth to get there though. So. I think since Mila's come, um, we've only ever had positive interactions with people. Yeah. I mean, they see her and she's cute and she says hi and she smiles and, um, I mean, it's kind of hard not to love her. You know what I mean? And I have only ever been asked if she has Down syndrome by someone who knows somebody with Down syndrome and has someone with Down syndrome in their mm-hmm. family. The first time somebody asked me, I think I held my breath like, oh, God, I, I don't even know what to say. And I was like, yes, she does. And there were like two things of that. I didn't know what they were going to say next. And then it was like, OK, people do recognize that she has it. So it was kind of like, oh, dang, <laughs> you can't tell. But she was like, oh, my cousin has Down syndrome and he was my favorite person in the world. And like. So that, I mean, that's good, like, to hear that stuff, that, you know, family love them and, like, really love them. So that's been amazing. I've never, since she's come, had a bad experience, so. There are so many incredible organizations, incredible people, incredible doctors and medical professionals, authors and others, supporting families, supporting children, supporting adults with Down syndrome. Places like Gigi's Playhouse, important days like World Down Syndrome Day, organizations like the National Down Syndrome Society. Um, yes. So one of the times where I was crying with snot bubbles coming out in the doctor's office, um, she handed me a book by a lady named Jen Jacob, who um, founded the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network. She actually lives in Granger, Iowa. So I found her on Facebook and I reached out to her and you know, she invited me to her house and asked if I wanted to see her son, you know, meet her son. And, you know, at that point, I just wasn't ready to, like, see anybody with Down syndrome. I knew about Gigi's. So we went to Gigi's Playhouse, like, five minutes before it closed because I just couldn't. <laughs> um, and they were actually the first people in person to say congratulations. When I walked in, I was pregnant. And I was like, this baby has Down syndrome. And they were like, congratulations. And I just stood there like, what? So it kind of took took me back a little bit because I was like this is the first time somebody hasn't been like I'm so sorry and you know they gave us a welcome gift and you know we started going there regularly and the kids would play with the kids with down syndrome and when we would leave I asked um did you notice anything different about them and they my son said 
do they have on weird shoes? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's what you noticed? His shoes were bright colored? Like, okay. So then I, I kind of, but there was also a point when we found out that I cried a lot. Like, in the first two weeks, I cried a lot. And, you know, the kids started asking, is the baby dead? Like, do we need to worry? Like, and I was like, the way I'm acting is going to frame how they react to her. So I have, I have to stop this. And so I cried on the way home from work. I got off at midnight. And that's, that's when I would give myself the time. You know, because you have to deal with it. Yeah. It's definitely, like, a grief process that you go through. And I knew that I had to be okay for her when she came. So I had to get through all those emotions. And I think I questioned my decision every day until 23 weeks. When I knew it was like, this is permanent. Like, I can't do anything about it. No one's going to offer it to me again. And then I was just like, okay, this is our life. So where do we go from here? But yeah, so the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network, Gigi's Playhouse... And then I, I Googled a lot of babies with Down syndrome just to see what they look like. And then um, on Facebook, I added a lot of people with kids who, you know, were totally normal with Down syndrome, had totally normal lives and played sports and went to regular schools. And I don't know what, I guess I don't know what he did, but I told him a lot about like, Absolutely what I found. nothing. I didn't do anything. <laughs> it, well, because we went to Gigi, she went to Gigi's first with the kids. And then they were really excited about going there. So I want to say they might have went like maybe the day before or even the same day. But when I got home from work, you know, we went to Gigi's and we met, you know, the, the folks there, which that place is just a blessing because it's non-judgmental. Everyone there can do their thing. You know, they have different activities and groups. But most importantly, the age group that we're in. You know, they have play dates, you know, was it every once a month on, on Saturdays, once a month we go there and just the camaraderie you get from the other parents and just to see the, you know, see and hear, you know, the struggles because everyone goes like this story. If you sit amongst the group, it is not unique. Mm-hmm. All their stories are, you know, they mirror each other some to one way or another. And unfortunately, there's been stories that we heard, you know, from other people that are not positive at all, you know, so just being around, you know, them and having another network of support, you know, is, is really good. And then like you're bonded with them, like almost instantly, because we've all been through something so similar, so different, but at the same time, so similar. And just to be able to talk to moms who had the same feelings that I did during pregnancy that I couldn't talk to him about because he didn't understand and just to find out like that's normal and I'm not a bad person and you know like my feelings of grief are what everyone has gone through that really helped me allow myself to go through it and be I guess done with it by the time she shows up so now that Mila's getting a little bit older what do you what do you wish what do you know now that you wish you would have known oh my gosh um, that all that pain was worth it and I would do it a million times again and I would feel all those horrible emotions just to be here it makes me sad for the parents who might be swayed by the doctors and terminate the pregnancy because they never get here like this is so worth it it's so worth it I think when you remove expectations from somebody yeah. and that sounds horrible when you when you have a baby that you know are going to have these limitations and you don't necessarily go into it with all these expectations, like my child's going to walk at eight months and they're going to do all these amazing things, you really get to see them for yeah. them. And she's amazing. So it's really also slowed me down for the other kids too. Like when you let your kids be 
them for them I mean they're amazing like they're happy and you know they do things so great so much better than you could have ever expected so much better than you could have ever pushed them in the direction to do but I think just seeing Mila for her and just celebrating the directions that she goes in at her pace I mean I just think I don't know it's just amazing yeah it's it's, it's really dope we um in the beginning we had a was like four days of different therapies that we had to go through yeah so we started with like physical therapy three times a week and occupational therapy so it was almost it was five days a week that almost five days a week that we were going and then I combined them for two of the days um and we were just really I was really wanting her to keep up with everybody else um but then it gets to a point where it's like she doesn't have time to be a baby like I just want to sit on the couch and cuddle her like I just want to read books to her and sing songs with her and like just chill and we can't do that because we're always we always have these expectations for her so we kind of really like loosened that up a little bit and I mean she did it she did all yeah. the things that we were trying to get her to do she it, it's it's funny it's it's interesting to watch because she does all the things it's just a slower pace so you know if the kids are walking at one and a half she walks at two you know and to watch like you know her little feet go to the side and like try to jump but can't really jump but you can see her getting there and just the things man she's having older siblings is a great thing for her too because she watches them so like we have this baby gate at home that shouldn't be up anymore because she doesn't care that it exists and i'm talking about a while ago she was able to put her hands up there and get it open and go through so at first we'll put a chair in front of it she just figured out that if she opens it in that she could push the chair and get out you know so everything you know you think that maybe she will have a hard time with no she just goes at her pace and it's totally fine and then the thing that with her that's that's interesting is to watch her pick up things that i don't think like the other kids do i call her my super taster even though right now she's not living up to it because she's difficult to feed but she tastes things differently than the other kids like ollie middle child no matter if it tastes good if she says it's nasty she's not going to eat it you know amaya's older she's a little bit more mature so she'll eat it especially and then micah boy he he just devours anything unless one of the two other sisters says it's gross then he won't touch it but mila if it tastes good she's gonna eat it i think for her the only thing is is textures what would get her but you know if you give her macaroni and cheese and it's not enough cheese on it she spits it out you know because she doesn't taste anything it's just a bland noodle so like for me like i'm watching i was like ah she gets something the other kids don't because, you know, I'll make the same mac and cheese and they'll eat it no problem. And I'm like, man, this is gross. Mila's like, nah, I'm not eating that. She just spits it right out. So it's it's it's, it's awesome to, to watch it. I feel like it with her, the baby phase is extended. Yeah, so, like the best part. Of yeah, so phase. like it's, it's really fun because, dude, like you get the best hugs when they're that small. You know, it's like, oh, how you doing? She's excited. And, like, she grabs my leg and, like, hugs it. It's like, you know, it's the best feeling in the world. It's like, oh, man, like, yeah, I'm dad. This is cool. So it's that's been a really good plus. It's just the extended amount of time that, you know, you get to enjoy that, that baby phase before they get a little bit more independent and they don't need you as much as they did in the past. 
medical and societal advancements and improvements have created incredible opportunity, love, and support for parents of and individuals with Down syndrome. One clear indication of this change is in the life expectancy for people with Down syndrome, which has blossomed from age 9 in the early 1900s to the mid-20s in the 1980s to an average of 80% of individuals with Down syndrome living well into their 60s and beyond. But even this doesn't come without challenges. And I asked Sarah and Jared for their perspective on, on what they wish for their child and the advice that they would give to others that are receiving the news right now. I don't think that I have a fear for her growing up. Yeah. I just think, for me, I just I want her to do everything she wants to do. Yeah. I'm not scared of anything now because I know we as parents and as a family and a community are capable of providing her with the stepping stones that she needs to do whatever she wants. And I think that was probably one of the biggest questions. I think I asked him in one of the first conversations we had, can our marriage handle this? Yeah, there's no, I mean, for me, it's no, it's no real fears, you know, for her. Cause the way I look at it is it's our duty as parents to get her prepared for the world just like the other kids so she's gonna experience life as she's experienced life there's a lot of that there's no control so why fear the thing that you have no control of unless you want to drive yourself absolutely crazy for me the the only thing i worry about is the stuff that i can control like a does this job work for me does it pay me enough and if it doesn't why not because i need to be able to take care of my family you know, so like that's the things that I know I can control and the things that I worry about, which has nothing to do with her. It's just make sure I'm able to provide um, for, for our family. But, but future wise, I don't know, just meeting all all the other kids at, at GG's like, man, they're special, man. Those kids are like they're 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 with it. And it's funny because they all excel at their own things at different times. Like this is a one little girl. She walked better and faster. She runs now. Yeah, than any of them. And just watching her go from scooting, she would literally speed scoot on her butt across the floor to like now she takes off. You know, these kids. I don't know how it was fifty years ago. I'm just thinking like the worst. You know, the expectations were the worst. These kids. They're so capable of everything. Mila hangs with her older siblings. Like, let one of their siblings do something she don't like. She'll slap them. You know, she's like, no, she's not going to put up with it. So it's just a matter of, you know, us doing our our part. Okay, last question I've got for you uh, is around uh, a listener that might be listening right now that just got the news. Right. Um, In just a couple of words, what would you, what would advice, what would be the advice you would give to them? In a couple of words. In just a couple of words. Oh, gosh. It's going to be perfect. Don't have any expectations. Just let it be. It's fine. The world is so much better with Mila in it. And the world is so much better for countless other individuals just like Mila. We are so greatly appreciative of the opportunities that we have to explore different worlds, different perspectives, different understandings. That's truly what makes our world great. For those of you looking for local or national organizations, 
help, support, please visit facingtomorrow.org. There you'll find the blog post associated with this podcast, along with the rest of the podcasts that we've covered on Facing Tomorrow. Please feel free to add your comments, suggestions, and other books or resources that you might know of within that blog post. Most importantly, always remember, you are loved, you are needed, you are appreciated, and so are your children. And you should never feel like you have to walk alone. Thank you for listening. To stay up to date on the latest from Facing Tomorrow, and for additional information and resources about this topic and more, go to facingtomorrow.org.